How does the Eastern Conference shape up? Will Kawhi solve the Raptors' problems? Can the Celtics mesh all their talent together? The only question left is, say it with me, you in? Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. I am pleased to bring on the show friend of the breakdown, Jared Weiss of The Athletic. And I think that if, Jared, you come on uh, one or two more times, you're going to be the best friend of the breakdown. I appreciate that. I mean, I've always, that's pretty much my life goal is to be your best friend. Awesome. I, I, you know what? And I might have even called you the best friend of the breakdown before, uh, and, and now I'm just forgetting. But either way, you're almost there if you haven't been there already. Yeah, what did I do to lose that? I definitely got that friend. You best did? Friend best friend? Somewhere. All right. I, you know, you, you lost it by simply having enough time between the end of the season and now that I forgot everything. That's all right. I still love you anyway. I do too. So, uh, you know, <laughs> let's let's talk about some NBA. We thought Eastern Conference uh, would be an interesting subject to talk about and sort of just describe the landscape that we're looking at as we move into the regular season, which will probably end up being like next week, the way this thing is moving and the summer is going. So... Um, you know, I, I suspect that you have no problem talking about the, 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 the most favored team in the East going into next year. You think you want to talk about the Indiana Pacers in depth right now? I guess I could do it. <laughs> All right. Uh, we can do that. But let's start with uh, this team that plays somewhere up in the Northeast called uh, the Boston Celtics. Sounds right. So they're looking like they're on the top of the East. Everyone should expect them to get to the, uh, the finals, right? Yeah, yeah. Even with the Kawhi trade, I think they're still the clear favorite. Uh, but you know, I think they had a pretty comfortable amount of daylight between them and the rest of the pack with Toronto, Philly, maybe Milwaukee and Indiana. And Toronto closed that gap. I mean, I'm I'm very confident that Kawhi is going to come out there swinging and look pretty close to his old self. And that that's just such a big upgrade, at least in the playoffs over Demar. You know, I mean, Toronto overachieved as much as they always do and even more last year in the regular season. But obviously the barometer for success with this team is how far can they get in the playoffs? Can they look competitive in the conference finals and even get to the finals? And they have they have the capability to do it now. I don't think there's any question about that. Well, a lot to unpack uh, in that brief soundbite you just gave us. Uh, I guess the first question would have to be, A, I suppose you sound like it sounds like the Raptors are over the Sixers. You think that they're better than the Sixers right now? Now I do, yes. Okay, with Kawhi. Now, you also think that Kawhi is healthy and ready to go? Yeah. I think he probably has been for a while, honestly. Oh, really? Um, yeah, I, would, I, would, I don't have any inside knowledge on this, but just reading all the tea leaves, hearing all the interviews after the trade where people are able to let go, some of the stuff they've been holding back, I get the feeling that Kawhi probably could have been good to go if he really wanted to at the end of the season or maybe if the Spurs had gone a little further in the playoffs. Wow. That's, okay. just, that's just the impression that I'm getting from the way that people are talking about Kawhi. I don't think it's he's just finally coming around in his rehab. I think I, I would expect that if he really wanted to, he could have played. So I expect that he'll be completely healthy by the time that the regular season rolls around or preseason rolls around. Well, let me throw this out there. Uh, after the Dwight debacle in Los Angeles, I think it gave a little, took a little of the shine away from the Lakers and as being a destination. Everyone loves that, that the franchise. Uh, does this do the same thing for the Spurs? It's it kind of depends how it plays out. I think so far, the thing the entire time Kawhi appeared to be the villain, and that the Spurs were just completely victimized by his lack of cooperation, his, his insubordination. I think 
Danny Green uh, revealing that he was dealing with a, was it a groin tear the entire season that wasn't diagnosed. That that definitely puts one in Kawhi's column for his lack of trust for the uh, good for the training staff. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you you hear the stories that came out. I think it was Michael Wright from ESPN told the story of that Kawhi was he was working out in New York and when Spurs brass showed up to his gym that is that Uncle Dennis rushed him out the back door and hit him. You know, that's that is the kind of thing that it's kind of like impossible for Kawhi to ever win the PR battle at that point if that story is out there and is believed and I mean I've talked to a few people who say that the story is pretty legitimate. So yeah, wait and remind me what, what date was that? Oh God, I don't even remember. Well, was but it I during think the it was, season? I think it was like late winter probably it oh, might have been really? earlier than that but it was it was at a point i think it was at a point where he was supposed to be coming back or getting close to coming back and okay the, and just the idea that the spurs wanted to come in and check up on him and he literally ran away i mean that's that you, you lose all benefit of the doubt that you're that you're acting in good faith when you do that fair enough i i remember that a little bit and i kind of forgot and so i was a little i'm still been really confused as to why Kawhi is being portrayed as such a villain because I mean, you know, on the face of it, he, he he was hurt. Perhaps they misdiagnosed a bunch of stuff, so that was frustrating for him. And, you know, then he, it took a while to come back, and yet now he's being this guy. So I, I get that to some degree, but uh, either way, I mean, this all hinges on the whole Raptors thing hinges on him being 100% from day one. Or I guess maybe not, at least 100% when the playoffs start, um, right? Like so, and, and you have no issues, you have no... Uh, Nothing indicates to you that they'll have a, uh, an adjustment period or they'll be difficult in the beginning. Not really, because I think Kawhi can function in a lot of the same ways that DeMar did in the offense. I mean, there was there was a level of continuity and institutional knowledge uh, or just chemistry between DeMar and the rest of that team. And, of course, with Lowry, which is a big part of it, that Kawhi doesn't have coming into it. but. I think Kawhi's proven to be a pretty adaptable player over the years. He has a lot of the same skills that DeMar has and is even better in some areas. You know, most notably, he can act or he can operate 25, 28 feet out and pull up at any time to problem, which is something that DeMar couldn't quite do in the same way. And I think his shot selection is a little bit better than DeMar's as well. I think DeMar's shot selection and efficiency was maybe a little bit overblown. I think his just his main issue was that he his go-to shot would usually be an 18-footer fadeaway as opposed to getting all the way to the rim or being able to cross up and pull up from three, which are things that Kawhi can do better. For sure. And, you know, I, I did a video on this, and it, it did pretty well, but feel free to go over there and watch it again if you want. Um, oh, I will. Or And anybody else listening, uh, we could use a few, more, few thousand more views of it. But nonetheless, uh, there's no question. I think the key here for Kawhi that puts him above um, DeMar DeRozan would be that he's already proven it at the height of the playoffs and the height of the pressure of the game that he can come and bring it and hit shots and be efficient, whereas it seems like it's been enough years where we see like DeRozan just, just for whatever reason can't. I think it's because teams double him and guard him in, at a much higher degree in the playoffs, and he... I mean, I don't think he should have all the skills to go overcome it. I mean, I, I don't cover the Raptors, and I don't pay attention to them enough to really understand at, at its core why it doesn't happen. But just from you know being someone who will watch the games, it's it just seems like DeMar gets guarded a lot more physically, and he can't get the dribble penetration or the separation that he's used to during the regular season. And that just leads to a lot more missed shots. And he, up until this year at least, wasn't quite the playmaker that he was now. And that that way he wasn't really able to figure out what to do in the offense if he wasn't able to get to his usual shots. 
And that bit him again in the uh, semifinals this year. While Kawhi, he seems to always figure out a way to contribute no matter what. Yeah, and I think what people might be missing, and I'm sure the people forget because he's been out for so long now, but he was isolating in that same style as DeRozan was doing. And in fact, the yeah. Spurs offense did not look like the Spurs offense uh, the, la- the last year he was healthy with him and Aldridge kind of doing a lot of ISO. So I-, I think it's interesting because they revamped their offense in Toronto. They kept the same coach, the assistant coach, who I think was sort of overseeing that uh, in Nick Nurse. So, um, you know, I guess him and me are going to compete for the Coach Nick moniker across SEO, but <laughs> we'll see who wins. But nonetheless, um, so so I think that might be nice in a way that perhaps uh, they could kind of – I think you're, what you're saying is right. I think it feels like it will be very uh, of a smooth transition and they can find the happy medium. And then I guess you get all the wonderfulness on defense that you did not get with DeRozan. Yeah, I mean, Kawhi obviously is a transcendent defender. He probably is the best defender of our generation. So that – that opens the door for Toronto to rely more on their defense than they do their offense, which I don't think they were doing in the playoffs last year. And it means they're a really good rebounding team again, too. And Kawhi allows them to go to small lineups where he can play the four, which is really, really valuable, especially because pertle has gone. And I think they were hoping that they could you know, put Pirtle into that small ball five position more this year. And thank God they were able to hold on to OG and Siakam because that opens up their defensive versatility a lot more. But to, you know, with the personnel they have out there, they could have a pretty dangerous defensive team. I agree, and it's funny because they might actually do better than they ever have. And you know, Dwayne Casey's going to say, "Well, I could have done that if, I, if they would have kept me with when Kawhi <laughs> trade went down." But with Dwayne Casey's new contract, I'm sure he doesn't have to worry at all about two words that make me shudder: credit card debt. Okay, so it's three words, but you get the picture. If you're anything like me, then you're all too familiar with crushing credit card debt at outrageous interest rates. I try to just put it out of my mind and make whatever payments I can and ignore the fact that I might never finish paying it off. But that can all change now. Lightstream allows you to lower that interest rate and consolidate your debt so you can finally get a handle on your finances. If you have good credit, you can get a credit card consolidation loan anywhere from $5,000 to $100,000 at a 5.89% APR with AutoPay. Better yet, if you go to lightstream.com slash breakdown, you'll get an additional interest rate discount, all with no fees. The only way to get this discount is to visit lightstream.com slash breakdown. So lift the burden of debt off your shoulders, get some breathing room, and visit Lightstream today. Subject to credit approval. Rate includes 0.5% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit Lightstream.com for more information. You did mention that you think that Kawhi Leonard is the, the probably the greatest of his generation on, on the defensive end. Is that what you said? Yeah, or at least perimeter defender. But I guess, yeah, I, I think okay. if, I had to, if you put a gun to my head, which you have, I'd probably say Kawhi is the best of this generation. All right. Well, should we wrestle for a second? Because uh, it sure. came up again on Twitter yesterday. And I forget that, you know, it, what happened the last time I said this uh, a few months ago when I had sort of said that I think that Draymond Green would go down as the best defender of all time. And uh, All time? Well, here's Ooh. the thing. 
if you want to come at me and say, well, Bill Russell or, you know, Hakeem Olajuwon, you know, they were great up there. I, I get that. But when I just get the crying, laughing emoji or like you are ridiculous or delete your account stuff, like that's what just gets really kind of frustrating because, you know, if there's anybody else better than him all time, there's probably that list is pretty short. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I put it. I definitely put him up there towards. I think he's probably on the top tier defenders ever when you adjust for their era. So yeah, that's it's not a it's it's not a crazy statement. It's just it's a it's a very bold statement. <laughs> I would I would still advise you to, to delete this podcast immediately. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, and it's kind of why I was hedging there for a sec on Kawhi, best perimeter defender, as opposed as opposed to overall, because Draymond would be the other guy there, and. I mean, Draymond, I think he's established the track record. I think he has enough time now to establish a track record of how great he is defensively. And especially because I thought he had a kind of a down year last year compared to his usual standard. And then he really picks it up in the postseason was you know, defensively was just unreal, as always. Mm-hmm. And I guess for me, the question with him is there were so many defenders way back in the day that were just like kind of like intimidating at a level that Draymond doesn't achieve. But I think Draymond achieves a level of impact where he just like he just like snuffs stuff out before it even starts. You know, he just he's he's kind of like at that LeBron level of what LeBron does of thinking the game like a chess match on offense and really on defense when he wants to. Draymond really does that defensively. And I think didn't you make an amazing video that kind of showed how Draymond was able to kind of like read a play three steps ahead. It was able to yes. you know, remember a play from before and he like called out a couple switches before they got into the action. You know, stuff that he does like that is there, there's not really anybody like that in the game. Or usually there's like one guy in the league that is able to operate on that level. Sure. So I I don't have the balls to put Draymond as the best ever, but I would say that I would probably put him in like my probably top ten defenders of all time. Assuming that he continues to perform at this level for the rest of his prime, because, you know, it's still he's only 28 now, I think. Right. So, I mean, he needs to it's kind of like the LeBron versus MJ comparison. It's like maybe LeBron is as good as MJ, but like he needs the rest of his career to put up the level of consistency to actually be able to achieve that. Because hypothetically, he is as good, but he needs to be able to do the whole thing, have that full body of work. And I think Draymond also needs to have that full body of work for me to put him on the same tier as guys like Elijah Wan and Russell and you know, all the up- right. others. Yeah, fair enough. And like again, I, that's why I keep saying it. I, I, I f- it feels like it, or I don't, I'm not saying he is right now. Sure. But uh, and by the way, it's not necessarily fair to like guys like Rodman, who the, the game, the defense is played differently now. There's a lot of more ability to play sort of a zone and rotate easier than it was back then. So, but you know, so because I do a lot of talking about how you can't. It's not fair to like denigrate Jerry West for playing in his era. He couldn't control when he played. He could simply dominate the way he did, and then we have to judge it on those merits. So it's almost the same idea here where it's like I can't penalize Dennis Rodman for not having the kind of defensive uh, rules that they have now. Uh, but when you watch what Draymond does, like Rodman never quarterbacked a defense like that. He never rotated like that. He never, you know, he was awesome uh, in the post and then also perimeter to some degree too. You know, Scottie Pippen's sort of the same way, but, um, you know, but I don't, Scotty never had, had an overall effect the way Draymond does now. And again, it's sort of a, a product of the era. So I haven't quite figured out how we're supposed to have that argument on the defensive end yet. And I think that, so there's a difference between like the rules and then the role. So like Jerry West is a great example because Jerry West was a, probably would have been an elite three point shooter if they had the three point line back then. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm sure, and I, I mean, just there's so much hearsay over the years about how so many of his shots were out from around that range that if him and like Sam Jones had a three point line back then, they would have been way, way higher in the in the scoring rankings. And maybe West would have been the all time leading scorer if they. Um, I, I can't remember how many years he played off the top of my head right now, but probably didn't play enough. But the point is, like, he could have been way, way higher up there if they had mm-hmm. the three point line. So. You know, that, there's one thing. And then when you compare it to like Rodman, who his role was different because, you know, partially informed by the rules at the time, but his role just wasn't the same as a lot of the bigs nowadays that they have to cover the entire floor. So I would give a bonus to Draymond in that compared to guys like Rodman, who maybe were more responsible for just guarding isolated in the post, rebounding and stuff like that, you know, occasionally catching switches. But like it, for Draymond, it's he's responsible for every single section of the floor. Something that I think. Hakeem playing in that same era was able to do at an you know, all-time great level, which is why I usually have him and Russell as the two guys I think of first when they think of the greatest defenders ever. Right, but never and then, then never having to play the perimeter uh, at all, uh, really. And again, product of their era, but still, that's the one thing that Draymond could claim, where he's like, I have to get out there and guard point guards more than they ever had to. So, interesting question. Which I but, think is more difficult. Yes. And I think it's a greater achievement to be able to do that. While also, Draymond is still the guy contesting at the rim, both in half-court and transition most of the time. Yeah. You know, when you're a big now nowadays, you're basically running suicides every single possession. And that's <laughs> that, I think, is such a greater achievement than being able to body up and shut guys down on the post-up. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, it, it would be the, the, the only thing that would uh, give Draymond a little bit more uh, of a grist or a little more traction in the argument would be if he got like a, a few, a little bit more on the block side. You know, he gets he got 1.3 last year, 1.4 the year before. And if you could ever get anywhere closer to like two, then and again, it's a dumb way to measure that. But I just feel like that would silence a lot of those guys who really just want to say Hakeem. But either way, and again, Draymond's so much shorter. Like what he does, despite the fact that he's short, even with long arms, uh, is 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 also equally impressive. But let's get back to uh, the Eastern Conference because I took a, I hijacked <laughs> that for a second. And um, all right, so we we talked about the Raptors and where they they fit in. You clearly feel that they're above the Sixers. Um, now let's talk about the, the Celtics for a second because how what makes you so sure that this group of players that really haven't played together at all yet are going to mesh uh, as, as seamlessly as it sounds like you think they are? Because of what I just saw last season where they had a way, way bigger overhaul and they made it work so well. Um, I mean, the only, as far as projecting them, the only real addition that makes any difference is Hayward because we saw Kyrie for most of the, or at least right. for a good portion of the season last year. So we have a clear understanding of how that fits. One, um, you, I mean, the first thing is that you assume significant improvement from Tatum, Rozier, and Brown. Those guys, I mean, their year over, the year-over-year growth has been pretty tremendous throughout their careers, including Tatum going back to just the way he's grown since, like, junior year of high school, which I've been trying to track pretty closely. But so those guys tend to grow pretty rapidly in their games. So there's a lot that they're going to be able to add on. So right there, even if you weren't returning Hayward, you would expect the team that was – probably the best team in the East last year until LeBron really overcame them. And now LeBron's gone that you would expect them to just get noticeably better just because of player growth there. Then you add in Hayward and Hayward just like, he just like fits perfectly. It's like he's Hayward is like the ultimate utility player. He is, uh, you could say an all-star level role player. If you wanted to catch a lot of flack, like Chris Carter did the other day when, 
the Twitter went fi- uh, completely caught fire because he used the term role player to decide, describe Gordon Hayward. Where, to be fair to Chris Carter, most of his argument, although he disagreed with it, was pretty logical. He just mumbled that term under his breath, and that is all that people latched onto. But you know, Hayward, he is the ultimate glue player for a wing. I mean, he can run, pick, and roll. He can shoot. Ice, he can uh, he can operate in isolation. He can operate on the weak side, cutting back door, all that kind of stuff. He's a good screen setter. He just does every little thing on offense really well. He's basically a wing version of Al Horford, which is, I think, what Chris Carter actually said. So, you know, adding in Hayward just increases their versatility. It allows the, it means that they're not going to be as reliant in the playoffs on isolation play, which was something that really hurt them, especially in the Cleveland series, where Jason Tatum, for all the amazing shots he hit, they were kind of relying on him to go ISO a lot of the time, and that wasn't the kind of offense that they want to run. Bringing Hayward back, you know, they were already the best defensive team in the league last year, and then bringing Hayward out there, it just means that their offense is going to be a lot more consistent and a lot more versatile. Uh, okay, well, let's talk about the starting lineup then, because I mean, I think we, it's pretty clear it's going to be what Irving, Horford, Brown, Tatum, and Hayward, and then yeah. right? Would you say that's right? Yeah, assuming assuming Gord doesn't need like a slow introduction into the season, Kyrie as well. I assume that they're going to be ready to start opening night. Okay, so that mean, and that means Tatum's going to have to play the small ball for start, which I think I think it works for them. I feel like Brown and Tatum together create a lot of problems for the other team on the defensive end. Someone's going to have a, a mismatch. It seems like. Um, okay, so that's good. Well, now, actually, let me just yeah. let me just correct you there. Hayward probably will be the four most of the time ah. when in his last year, and so the last two years in Utah. Quinn Snyder tried to really push him towards being the small ball four next to Gobert or Favors. So he played, I want to say it was like almost 30% of his minutes as a four in his last season in Utah. So they were expecting him to play the four most of the time in Boston. Fascinating. And either way, hyper switchy, uh, you know, except for Kyrie, it's like everybody can kind of switch and not lose a beat. Uh, So I'm excited to see that. And then what you do then is – you have all this other great stuff. So Terry Rozier coming off the bench, having gone through the gauntlet and really came out the other end, a better player. Marcus Morris coming off the bench. Marcus Smart coming off the bench still like he was. Uh, that's a pretty good three guys to bring off the bench. Anybody else that I'm forgetting? Yeah, Daniel Tice was a, was a really solid rotation player in his rookie season last year, and he'll be healthy and ready to go for training camp as well. And then Shemi Ojale is starting to make some progress on his offensive game, which I wrote about on The Athletic. Um, so he probably will be the ninth man in that rotation. I think he's still mostly a defensive specialist when they need him because he can play. He can guard pretty much any position out there. So he's, he's really valuable in that regard. Did Aaron Bain sign with somebody? And then he did. He signed with the Celtics. So that's the okay, other guy. Right. So when they need a Ross, I mean, they have on, off the bench, they have pretty much every type of player that they could possibly want. Morris kind of presents that, you know, that that uh, wing score that they're looking for, who's also a tough, versatile defender. Bain started shooting threes last year. We'll see if that continues, but that makes yeah. him an optimal. You know, he's, he's a pick and pop center. Daniel Tice is also a pick and pop big. I mean, they have pretty much every type of player they could want. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and that's what makes it pretty clear that that's why we like them, you know, as favorites for, to get out of the East without question. Plus, when you throw in, you know, the best coach in the East. In the NBA, however, wherever you want to put him there, it's certainly up there. And uh, that's going to be a huge advantage for them, too. So I'm all in on the Celtics for sure. I wanted to take a quick break to talk to you about Simple Contacts, a convenient way to reorder your contact lenses that will save you money. When my wife runs out of her contacts, it's normally a nightmare to renew her prescription. And sometimes she's forced to wear her old ones for days until she finds the time to go out and pick them up. 
With simple contacts, they bring the doctor to you. You can take a vision test at home in under five minutes, then a real doctor reviews your test and writes you a new prescription. This isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam, but it's the next best thing. Simple Contacts offers every brand of lenses, and their prices are unbeatable, and shipping is free. But my listeners also get 30 bucks off their first Simple Contacts order with code COACHNICK20. So, to save 30 bucks on your lenses, just go to simplecontacts.com coachnick20, or enter the code COACHNICK20 at checkout. Again, that's simplecontacts.com slash coachnick20 or enter my code coachnick20 at checkout. Uh, do you want to spend a couple minutes on Philly and, and sort of looking at what they're doing and if they've improved? Sure, sure. I mean, have they really improved? I mean, they signed Chandler, um, Wilson Chandler from the Denver. Is that enough to get him over the edge? I think it's <laughs> and like not really. I mean, no, they... I thought the biggest thing that hurt them last year, or I guess there was two things, was just the limitations of their stars, really. It was that Simmons doesn't shoot, and Embiid in the playoffs was playing with the mask, and that was really limiting his effectiveness from the perimeter. So I think Embiid didn't, even though his numbers are really good, I thought that he, and I know he feels this way as well, he did not perform nearly as well as he wanted to in the playoffs. So really, it's I think their their limitation is mostly set by how much can Simmons expand his game outside of eight feet. Uh, I expect Joe to come out there and probably have an MVP caliber season this year, and maybe he'll end up being a top five MVP guy. Uh, Wilson Chandler is really, I think he's kind of exactly the guy they wanted. Um, you know, they're able to put him next to Covington and they can have these lineups where they have a lot of defensive size and athleticism, but they all they also can all shoot, which is really important because you can put like those small lineups with those guys out there with Redick, and then you have a ton of shooting out there to help space the floor around Simmons and give Simmons, you know, it'll make it a lot easier for Simmons to get in there and dribble penetrate. But that didn't really work for them against Boston. They were just really outmatched and... I mean, hopefully their big, their key guys continue to evolve, and Fultz is able to be Fultz is you know kind of completely ready for training camp. Which I know there were some reports from people that have seen Fultz secondhand, or talked to people that have seen Fultz work out. I've seen Fultz work out this summer. I went to visit, and I can't really talk much about it, but I can tell you that he is making progress. But he's, I don't think at this point he's ready to just jump on the floor and be ready to play like the player that he was coming into the season. But I can tell you everything besides shooting looks unbelievable with him. It's just he's still making progress there, and it's going to take the rest of the summer for him to really work himself back to where he wants to be. Right. I, I saw some video of him shooting, and it still looked uh, from distance a bit problematic. It wasn't smooth, but uh, you know, better than where, where he was before, so that's encouraging. I will say um, you know, I, I don't really have any com- that much confidence that Ben Simmons will improve at all. Um, uh, on his shot, and I and I kind of feel like, you know, the, one of the issues I feel like a lot of NBA guys, trainers, whatever you want to call them, uh, even the coaching staffs on the, the teams, they don't recognize the value of rhythm, and I feel like uh, I see that all over the place. And my my interactions with a lot of NBA guys is that there's a, there's a there's a there's a rhythm uh, that's vital to shooting the basketball. And I feel like it's a kind of detail that gets often overlooked as far as when you, uh, what you do with the ball, when you catch it, when you have your dip, when you start bringing your hands up when, in relation to when the, uh, the legs start straightening. So anyway, it's, it's just interesting and frustrating because I, I feel like I don't think that that's being paid attention to with Simmons. 
So again, uh, what the issue, I guess, obviously in the playoffs is going to be they're going to sag off of him, and they're going to wall off, and he's going to be ineffective. I mean, I think with Ben is that he seems like he's trying to figure out what his shooting form is every time he shoots the ball. It's like I, as as important as rhythm is, and it's, it, I mean, rhythm is certainly probably half of it at least. You have to have your hand under the ball properly and following through straight towards the hoop. And mm-hmm. I remember just spending uh, one pregame before, during that Sixer series where I was just watching him just shooting free throws and trying to shoot in rhythm and his hand positioning and the angle of the ball would change every single time. There was no consistency to it whatsoever. And so he was trying to adjust follow through in his body. And it was like, he was trying to figure out what his follow through is every single time they need to, I mean, he just needs to accept what, you know, which is his actual dominant hands, use it. And is uncomfortable. It's kind of like when you're fixing your golf swing, it feels horrible the first time you do it and your back hurts like hell. And then after a week's worth of practice, it feels completely natural. And that breakthrough period is really tough and most teams don't want to do it. Or I say break in period, I should say. Most teams don't want to do it during the season because they don't want their guy to have to deal with that crisis of confidence when you're going through the break-in period, especially if it takes longer than expected. I'm hoping during the offseason he's been going through that and comes out with a completely reformed upper body component to his shot. Then he can start really worrying about the lower body. Well, interesting. Yeah, uh, and we'll see. I, I don't know if I have any faith in that. Uh, I feel like they're doing all the same things they were doing last year, and uh, certainly he's going to be shooting with the left hand again this year. So we shall see. But either way, uh, I think that was a nice breakdown at least of the top half of the, of the Eastern Conference and where we stand. I mean, we haven't even talked about Indiana, which I think is really going to be a, a – they're going to they're gonna spoil some people's parties. I mean, Tyreek Evans is in town, so that's, that's really, really all they need to ruin people's lives. But, <laughs> uh, you know, they, Indiana is they, – they were very well managed last year, and I can't believe that they didn't win their uh, – that they didn't get further in the playoffs. But – uh, I mean, the Oladipo story is probably your favorite story of the year last year, right? I mean, it's got to yeah. be right up there. Yeah, he turned into a just a just a transcendent player who, you know, maybe with his Team USA experience they're going to go through right now, it's a little bit of that will give him a little bit even more of a boost. And, and yeah, they're going to be just really terrific. The Bucks have a new coach, and that should be really interesting as well. Uh, I'm, I've been trying to get down to a video of uh, the Giannis and uh, Budenholzer connection and what that's going to look like so that should be a good video when i come back from my vacation um you know i suppose that means that there's only some teams that are going to go down like the wizards are probably going to suffer maybe well they they signed white howard so that i think that was intentional probably ah okay because they got rid of gortat <laughs> and they replaced it with howard they still have everybody else so that, that you, you think that that's a an effort to kind of get a better draft pick they think they're trying to tank. They want to be at the worst record in the league. All you got to do is sign Dwight Howard. Wow. Uh, you know what? And they could accelerate that by trading either Beal or, um, or Wall. And, well, uh, Wall, I think Wall just officially became available for trade. So if anybody wants to take on that contract, right. especially the day after that, uh, that photo <laughs> came out of him at Team USA. I didn't looked, think it Did you think that photo of him was that bad? It, it, it wasn't great, but it was, you know, they kept posting the video. I think it was NBA's Twitter handle kept posting the video of people taking that photo. They would just like kind of like walk in front of a, of the, like a white background backdrop yeah. and then just kind of like look awkwardly at the camera really quickly and then walk away. It's like those guys all look like they went to Nobu and just like had every drink imaginable the night before in Vegas. And they're all just kind of like barely making it to practice. Yeah. And so it was, I mean, it was, it was funny, but I just felt like, uh, I mean, listen, I, I, the way, if you, you, if you could see me right now in my midsummer look, my, I mean, it looked like I suck my <laughs> finger in a socket right now. So haven't cut my hair since like February. Um, 
So, all right, well, listen, come back on. We'll get through the rest of this stuff, and we'll talk about some other things before the season certainly is upon us. And uh, I hope, but I hope you have a great rest of your little, uh, you know, vacation on the beach right now. Well, it's funny. Every single time I come on your show, I'm looking at some sort of body of water. So I think the more often you invite me on, the more often I'll incidentally be looking at water, which <laughs> makes me happy. Uh, I'm on a right. lake in northern Ontario, or I guess it's actually southern Ontario right now, just paying a visit to the T dot for a little while. So I might have to just stay here if I can do more b-ball breakdown. Nice, nice. Well, I'm hopping on a plane this afternoon to go to Chicago for a week, and then I'm going to go to Paris with the lady for about nine days. Ayo. Oh, that sounds good. I got some. Rec- I just went to Paris recently. I'll have to send you some recs. Oh, please send them along, and um, I will. Uh, we will be back. So, if you notice that there aren't any uh, videos in the next couple of weeks, it's only because I'm out of town. Don't go anywhere, everybody. I'll be back, and we'll. Be- I'll make up for it. So, Jared, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Sure. Thanks again, man. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Jared? Oh, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs>